Welcome in today. Super excited that you've chosen to stop by, hang out with us. We got a treat for you today. Now, I know some of you know this because you've been hanging around for a minute or so. Hopefully more than that. You know, we have this map in the studio. I, I think we have been sort of kind of close to New York. We've had some upstaters. We've had some, you know, fun like that, like in the Syracuse area. Today, today, my friends, we get to go to Brooklyn. We might see Jenny from the block, so be aware. Hope you packed your Nets hat. That's the Brooklyn Nets, in case you're wondering. Yes, we're also maybe talking New York Jets football, so brace yourself for that as well as we do a flyover today. Help me welcome in my new friend, Jonathan. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm glad to be here. How are you? I think I'm going to change my opening to Ride is Rain, because I looked that up, and it's a striving for perfection, or yeah. that everything's okay. Everything's perfect. Which I don't know, because nothing's ever perfect, right? Nah, it can't be. I mean, Mary Poppins practically perfect in every way. No, not a thing? Nah, couldn't be. Couldn't be. If it is, run, right? Can't, can't be. <laughs> Seems counterfeit, maybe. <laughs> More likely. You got a timeshare in Arizona right next to the ocean. You should maybe look at that's what we should run from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, man, I love that you have given us a moment today. Appreciate that. I always love it when we get to connect with new folks and new friends, I always say. So that that's fun. We always like to lead off the show, however, with the most important question I think anyone will ever answer in their lifetime. And that's this. What size shoes do you wear? 11. Awesome. So easy to fit in because I, too, wear an 11. So that's fun. Now, here's the most important question of all time. Maybe more than that one. And that's this. What style or brand do we like more? than another oh well because i was an athlete i learned to appreciate adidas nike was always the classic go-to adidas what they started doing is they started taking the ounce out of the shoe which kind of helped because it made it more lighter at one point playing football that was the most beautiful thing ever just being able to have a shoe that was lighter made you feel like you were walking on the moon so that was sort of something i really appreciated that adidas did nike's just been around it's been around for a long time. Now, I've tried the Under Armour. Uh, wasn't too satisfied with that one. Definitely Adidas has been cool and Nike, the you know consistent Nikes. Now, interesting enough, I have tried the All Bird shoe. That's, that's pretty cool, too. I've been on that as well. That's uh, interesting for the style that you're trying to attract. The suede is supposed to be good for walking. So I've been dibbling and dabbling. Nice. I just picked up a pair of Jordan 4s huh. just in time for my birthday. I mean, how do you how do you feel about spending that much money on a shoe, man? Is it is it the style? Does it make you is it do you feel good about it? What is it? Because I, I could not, I don't think I've ever decided to ever consider purchasing a Jordan shoe. You gotta tell me, what's the secret about this? There's actually a story behind it. So when I was in fifth grade, I had a friend named Eric. You know, Eric was one of these guys that probably could have gone pro. And I've actually lost track of his last name. So I'm curious to see if he's playing maybe overseas somewhere because he was talented. My fifth grade year, so what are we, nine and 10 probably in that age range maybe potentially? He, for his birthday, got Jordan 4s. They had probably just come out or probably within that year or something. I remember watching him play basketball 
in them. And then, of course, Jordan and the hype of everyone wants to be like Mike and he could fly. And so in my fifth grade brain, mind you, not fully developed, I really thought the shoes would make you fly. Uh. And so I always wanted them. Growing up, my my parents were in and out as far as emotional, a lot of emotional trauma, if you will, there. They were great people. Like I wasn't like abused or anything like that physically, maybe emotionally in some respects. But these shoes, I thought, man, they could fly. And I thought if I could just get a hold of them, I could fly away from my circumstance, <laughs> my situation. Sure. I'm never really good at basketball, but I just thought these shoes could make me fly. And so I guess gotcha. even as a 43 year old man now, I think, are they going to are they going to fly me away from my you know, <laughs> troubles and problems? That I, I'm a big Carolina fan, so that's probably a lot of it, too truly uh. is I get shoes that are Carolina or light blue in nature. And so that's probably okay. Why. Fair enough. Fair but enough. I have spent too much money on shoes. Like I haven't done the math. I probably shouldn't. I need an accountant for that. It's been a lot of money. It's probably at least a grand. I would imagine now upwards. Everybody's got something, you know, some people are into the watches, some people are into hats, jeans, so I, I completely get that, 100%. Yeah, I heard Buckle jeans. You heard of those? I, I don't know if you guys have those out there, but Buckle is, is a jean brand out here, out west. They sell, I'm I'm not kidding you, I think they sell $500 for a pair. Wow. They better gold-plated something. <laughs> Oh my right. well, it's got to do something else. Yeah, right? it's got to. Yeah, it can't just be, be a pair else, of jeans. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, to your point, we we all have our things. What is it about a footprint, an impact, an imprint? When I say those kind of phrasing, what comes to mind for you? It's sort of like a legacy, a stable in which someone can see and either follow down that path or avoid it. And then also it's it's almost when you think about it, it's a mark that's left as something that you could appreciate. So those are the two things that come to mind when I think of an imprint. It's your print on something like a legacy that you leave behind that someone could see, admire, go down that same path or avoid because it's probably too hard or something that I can learn from that. I don't have to do. So I guess that's my question for you is when you think about Jonathan's life, there's that great Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. Got George Bailey gets kind of a second chance, gets to see what life was like without him there and all the lives that were affected without him being there. I'm wondering about this for you, because for me, it's easy to put myself as the example because it's easy because I know it for you. I'm wondering about this. Have you ever let yourself think like that? Like if I wasn't there, my life or this person's life or that person's life may have been affected. Do you ever go there in any way? There's a possibility. Well, for me, the only person that can draw up as many different outcomes that knows the circumstance and knows the end is God. If you believe in God or the universe, right? Depending on who you're speaking to. For you, you will look at your life and the different paths that has been taken. And you look at the people that you encountered and the impact that they, ha that they have had on you or that you've had on them. And then you look at the role that it plays. If it did play a role, you kind of appreciate why they were placed in your life or why you came across them. And therefore, you, there's a significant value of inter, you know, intertwining with them. For me, I would call that a divine meeting, something that couldn't have happened. Your situation or something that you could control, but it's something in which God or, again, higher power or a supernatural being that did that for your purpose, for growth, for change, for improvement. So I appreciate, I learned to appreciate every single person that comes into my life and presents something that either, you know, forces me to think more critically or forces me to adjust 
or do things in a way that I maybe never anticipated. It was for my benefit. Without question, when I look at my life and I look at where I've been, I look at the journey that I've walked, there's some sort of beneficial element to it. And it's got me to the place where certain decisions I've made have definitely played a better world that I could have ever anticipated. But you mentioned athletics. I'm imagining, again, I uh, always dreamed of football. I've only been a fan. I've never been the player. Nothing like running out of that tunnel on Friday night, standing in the huddle, hearing the play from the quarterback. Granted, I wanted to be the quarterback, so I was the guy giving the play in my you know, analogy or my world. Athletics, I'm guessing, probably shaped you in a lot of respects. I'm guessing coaches probably had some impact, some imprint on you. What do you think a lesson, a principle that you learned back in those playing days that now you're using today in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. So talent works hard. Well, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And one of the reasons why I love that quote so much, because it speaks to the amount of work ethic that you put in. I'm a fundamentalist. So I believe that every step that you take that isn't structured in the way that's needed, it's a wasted step. Also, it's important to understand that in those wasted steps in the game of football, every inch matters. And I'm pretty sure everyone hasn't watched that movie any given Sunday, the inches matter so much. And if you miss that, if you're too soon, or you're too late, or you're too much to the left, or you're too much to the right, it can impact a play and it can also impact the timing. So I've always learned that talented people are able to do amazing things athletically. It's an ability that God has given them that allows them to move and perform better than others. However, the work hard element is something that if you get down packed, it can become a habit. So you practice something over and over again. I believe in that view where if you do something for 10,000 hours, you become an expert. So when you're playing football, those steps that you do, those muscle memories that you create builds a habit in such a way that what you do moving forward, simultaneously, it becomes effortlessly. And to me, there's no better way than to impact your ability to be successful than to have the amount of practice that you do, whether it's a play, whether it's a stance, whether it's a formation, to get to the degree that you no longer think about it. You're just doing it. You're just having fun. You're just finding ways to enjoy what it is that you're a part of. So in football, those are some of those experiences and moments that I've had and I've learned to appreciate. And, you know, the blood, sweat and tears that you put out there, every sweat and every tear that you shed shows not just the effort, but it shows a stamp that you leave behind that a person can see, realize, and either mimic or avoid. Unfortunately, not that many talented people can understand what it has taken a person that's not as talented to get to where they are. But you mentioned talent. You mentioned this ability. I am not a very talented athlete. I want to be. I can I can look the part. I can dress the part. I can say all the right things. I think the word still comes to mind as poser or maybe if we're going to go church word or faith word, hypocrite. So I guess for me, what I'm trying to understand with you and maybe your story is, have there been those moments where you maybe just dressed the part, where you maybe looked good? I mean, going back to our shoe, yeah, those Jordans <laughs> on. Maybe not you and the Jordans. You looked really good, but in all reality, you were just kind of going through the motion. Nah, I've never been in a situation where my talent took over. I was most likely a hardworking person, a blue collar worker. I had to work tirelessly every single day, whether it was in a weight room, whether it was out on the field, 
sprinting, drills, I embodied that. I think my talent was the fact that I worked really hard because I think a lot of people struggle with this desire to want to go get it every single day. It requires a level of stepping up every single day, whether it's getting up in the morning, whether it's doing an extra set, you got to want that desire. And unfortunately, that desire isn't something that everyone wants in those moments and times, especially if doing just enough gets you by. I think if you're chasing greatness or you're chasing time or this chance to make a difference in your life or in someone else's, then it's those extra reps that nobody wants to do that you're willing to do, whether it's sprinting out of practice, whether it's doing more stadiums. So I've always learned that that little extra bit goes a long way, not just for yourself, but for someone that could be a partaker of it. I've always engage life that way, not just from a standpoint of playing in sports, but life in general. Well, that's good because, you know, for me, like I said, I think there have been moments where I've had to really question, like, why am I doing this? What's the reason behind it? You know, part of the reason why I got into track and field, I was a track and field athlete. I was 3000 runner in the spring and ran cross country, which I think we were running 5Ks back in those days. Part of the reason why I wanted to be an athlete was one, they had the letterman's jacket. Like that was kind of an attractive thing to me. The other thing was, as I mentioned already, like my home life wasn't super amazing. And so athletics gave me a way to get out of the house. It was never a let me go run track because the girls are going to flock to me because let's face it, most track athletes are not overly attractive. We're usually pretty skinny, rarely kind of anorexic looking fellas most of the time. And I was probably in that category. What did athletics give you that really propelled you forward? I mean, we heard about a principle, but, but why stick with it? You know, being an athlete is just like living life points and instances where people throw you curveballs, things you weren't expecting. The question is, how do you maneuver in an environment or a situation where it seems like everything is stacked against you? That's one way. And another thing is the discipline that it takes to fulfill what you're expected to do every single day. It's a pattern of consistency that you have to follow, Sue. There's a structure that comes along with it, and it's not just your presence, but it's the presence of others. It's teamwork, working together, being able to work well with others, communication, being able to bring people up. There's all these different things that comes in sports where it's not prohibited based upon what you do, but it's based upon what we do as a collective. And there's something about getting together, being in the trenches with people and being able to relate in that fashion that you don't get to do when it's all about you. When you got 11 guys on the field at once, maybe you have nine guys doing their job and then you have two that aren't. It's impacted. To me, I've learned to appreciate what it takes to do things from a group perspective, not so much an individual perspective. And then understand that you can do everything right, but it doesn't mean that the play was successful. It doesn't mean that it's a great turnout, which means there's something more you have to do. Maybe it's not just leading by an example, but being verbal in the way that you lead. Or maybe it's getting on others and encouraging and motivating them and inspiring them to do something that allows the success of the overall group to step it up. So these are moments and times I come to appreciate that your performance is not based upon the individual perspective, but it's based upon the collective. And when you get in a habit of doing that, it transfers over to you as the head of a family. It transfers over when you're doing something 
together with someone else, if anything is lacking, then the overall image or the perception of it can be easily identified because they don't see the balance. So it's all about finding that even kill in life as well as sports. And I mean, hey, we're not too far removed from, you know, the Super Bowl. When those things, when you look at the Super Bowl in general, you see how much it takes for to make a success, whether it's the the halftime show, whether it's the collective of officials, everything requires teamwork, 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 better acquainted with the people around you. And, you know, we live in a day and age now where things play a role. And if you have any sort of heart and concern about the next person that's with you, you sort of gravitate and realize that at times another person's struggle becomes your struggle as well. Because if that person isn't on their game, then that means that the collective is not on their game. So it's about getting to the bottom of things and realizing that the show that is run is not an individual show. It's a collective show. And I've learned to appreciate that if there's anything that's going to be great that comes out of playing in a sport like football or team sport, then it's not just about what you've done and what you're proud of. It's about the overall finish, the finished product, because that's what people are looking to see and grasp and understand and enjoy. We're seeing, especially in media, I would say mainstream media, we're hearing these commentators, propaganda pushers, whatever you want to maybe call them, that are very critical of athletes. I mean, I remember, I think it was Laura Ingram came out and told LeBron James, I mean, maybe I don't need to say his last name. I think most people know who I'm talking about when I say LeBron, right? Or the king, right? Yeah. By, by the way, I have a pair of those too. So just side note, <laughs> they were a gift. Okay. They were a gift. I didn't buy them, but they were a gift. I think Laura Ingram is the one that said, you know, basically told LeBron, like, shut up and dribble. Just go play your sport and stay out of all this other stuff. Curious about this for you. Always curious about this when I get a chance to interview different cultures, different diversity, different backgrounds. Maybe it's not translating well over the the audio. Let's face it. I'm white. You're what do you what would you identify yourself as? African American. Okay, thank Bye. you. I, I again, I never want to insult or whatever. I didn't grow up the way you grew up. Some would even say who would be critical in this moment. Well, I had white privilege. I was a white guy, so I had more privileges. I had more advantages. I had more whatever. I had more money. But I'm curious about this for you. Do you think being an African American black man in this United States that we're living in, do you think that has, has in any way played a role or had an impact on your life than say maybe somebody like me or somebody, one of your you know white neighbors? It depends on the circumstance and situation, but it can play a role. And sometimes you can immediately think that it does, but it's all given into the different stereotypes that you hear or circumstance come up. I'm thinking of an example, and, and I think that companies have made a shift and an adjustment. At one time or another, I remember working at UPS, and one of the demands has is you're supposed to be clean shaved. That's the image of the company that you work under. And unfortunately, at a period in time, there are some Black men that grow their hair excessively hot. It's not clean cut or shaved. And based upon the image, if you're not clean cut and shaved, then you're not being obedient or under the same level of what the company's demand is. And based upon that, there are circumstances and situations where you don't get hired because of that. Because you don't fit the mold, you don't fit the standard. And I think things have changed now because now people are being much more welcome in those environments to do that, where you can wear a certain hairstyle 
and not be judged based upon your appearance, but be judged based upon your ability to do the job and get the most success out of it. Probably one example, how you dress, how you carry yourself, the way you're approaches, how presentable you are, can be viewed in a way that consistently some people don't have the ability nor the desire to wear a shirt and tie. And then the question is, have you ever tied a tie before? Have you ever ironed? So there are some standards where a person might be like, well, that's not something that's done consistently in your home. So the possibility is maybe you don't do that. And there's so many different things when it comes to that. Maybe the way that you eat, right? Maybe it's box food. Maybe it's not vegetables and fruits and stuff. And that's all based upon circumstance and where a person grows up, the access to. And there's so many different statistical things that play a role in that. You sort of kind of notice it briefly. If you know that, you know, how you maybe start life is not how you finish because you can adjust it and work around it. It doesn't have to be if or be all. It doesn't always have to be something that you hide behind. Sometimes people have to visually see that you're different, that maybe culturally this is something that I'm used to, but it doesn't mean that you fit among the culture because of skin color, but your attitude, your perspective, your mindset is not the same. So they adjust. There are periods when it adjusts and there's certain times in, in, in which that it can be adjusted. You can appreciate and run across people that don't see it the same way. And I think that's all of a heart problem when you look at the core, the standard that a company presents. So those are those are some of the things that I might run across and think about it. But do we know with certainty that everyone has that perspective? No. And I mean, we can use a, a great example when we look at the NFL and you question, well, why certain black coaches don't get a job? You can't look at the heart of the owner. You don't know, but you can only speculate. Can some of those speculations be true? Sh sure. Anytime assumptions, I believe assumptions are the lowest levels of knowledge that you can ever have and lead with to why you want to question something. So you don't know. The speculation is something that I think culturally people are used to doing, at least from where I'm at. But when you don't make it your brand of what you go into and you give that person a chance, you can be proven wrong and you can be proven right. I think it depends, you know, where the wind blows and when you encounter those situations. But more importantly, I try not to make an excuse or something that I lean on to why something doesn't happen. I control what I can control. I be the best that I can be. And that's all you can ever ask when you step into any situation that you're going to approach or deal with. Yeah. First off, I, I appreciate you talking about that because I think, again, I think this is, in my opinion, I think this is what's wrong with our world. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, green. I don't care what you are. I think when we start boiling down things to race, assumptions, when I start making assumptions, and it doesn't matter what anyone is, if I start making an assumption about someone, well, I know them because of blah, 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 or I know they're going to do this because of blah, 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 blah. I, I think we miss the boat on the value of the person. And I think that's the struggle. In that kind of same thread, it sounds like you're a person of faith from the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know this this guy Jesus really was kind of a radical in a lot of respects. Like he did stuff out of the ordinary. And I'm not talking about just healing people. I mean, that's definitely out of the ordinary. I can't do that as far as I know you can't do that. But even Jesus ran against people that were uh, making assumptions. I mean, I think most most definitely the Pharisees made a lot of assumptions about not only Jesus, but the company that he kept. They also made a lot of assumptions, people of Jesus's day, that the Samaritan people were terrible people. They had a bias towards them for whatever reason. 
And so for me, I think it's there's power in that conversation. There's power in that moment to say, okay, I'm going to set all of that aside and I'm going to get to know you. What's the danger for you in your mind if somebody just looked at you, looked at your situation, looked at your circumstance and said, no, I'll pass, not, not going there. What's the danger if someone did that for you? Well, they're judging on mere appearances, not judging correctly. And I know the first statement a person might make is, you shouldn't judge anyone. Well, I think there's righteous judgment that can be made because you have to make friends and you have to build relationships and you have to, I would hope, be around people that are going to motivate you, encourage you, inspire you, and then push you to be a better person. And you're not surrounding yourself in that way. I don't think growth happens in isolation. It happens in community. So you're being careful with the company that you keep. So without question, if judgment is not coming correctly in a situation like that, then I think potentially you're around people that might be bringing you down and not help elevate you to the next level and where you want to be. So I think without question, when you look at that from that perspective, there's important elements of what it takes to make quality friends, either in high places or in places where you can appreciate and remain humble in those circumstances. One of the most important things that I ever came across that I can appreciate, even though it was written such a long time ago, because I majored in philosophy. It's one of the majors that I did. And there's two people that I come across that have had an impact on the way that I think, Aristotle, and I would also say Socrates. And one of the things Aristotle says, is he says, at the end of section, lies your gifts, talents, and abilities, and then lies your purpose. So I think that's always important. Whatever your gifts, talents, and abilities, it lies with your purpose. But there's something Aristotle said about three types of friendships. There's friendship of unity, the friendship of pleasure, the friendship of goodness. When you start understanding the benefits of the friendships that you have, and the relationships that you establish, you realize sort of what kind of category that finds. So like the friendship of unity has to do with the benefits that you reap based upon someone else's gift, talents, and abilities. And it's an exchange of finances, an exchange, some sort of thing that's needed in order to benefit from the relationship. So I'll use an example. A barber is a friendship of unity because you're utilizing him to better your image and he's utilizing you to make a living. Then you have something called the friendship of pleasure. And the friendship of pleasure usually stems from a person that you enjoy when it comes to your company that you keep. So maybe you're going out to a movie date. Maybe that's your movie buddy. Maybe that's your buddy that you go out and you shoot hoops with or you play card games. There's some sort of pleasure that you gain from that. And then finally, there's the friendship of goodness. And that's usually a person that you've known for a very long time. And the relationship is not built on maybe something that you ran into. Maybe it was a sport or something like that. But it's probably someone that you knew and you grew up and maybe you don't have that much in common. But the longevity of the relationship is what, is what defines the importance of that relationship because a person has been there from day one and therefore that there's no other person that you can trust and you're most likely consider them a brother or sister now because of how much acquainted you are. So when we're talking about friendships, even acquaintances for that fact that you interact with people, there's a purpose to why they're there. There's a benefit that comes from that. You have to recognize and not ignore because it's, it sort of shapes your future in the way that you view the world, especially if you're doing the right things by holding you accountable to the choices that you make. So yeah, I think it's extremely important that those sort of people can impact how you view the world and can also help you create good habits, but also bad habits if it's not the right company that you keep. And you almost be become acquainted with them to the degree that people try to almost 
not only just isolate you, but identify you with certain things that they do that you don't think you did, but by guilty of association, you place yourself in that category. Well, I think that's profound to think about is this idea again of just, I think it's a slowing down process. It's saying, okay, again, I'm going to push away the noise. I'm going to push away whatever's going on around me. And I'm going to try to try to press in. Now, I hear you on that. I, I think there has to be a little element of, of discernment. I think that's a fancy dressed up word for judgment. But I think in that discernment, I think I can discern or determine to say, you know what? It's probably not a good idea to hang out with Jojo who's doing crack cocaine probably not good for me. Or somebody doing methamphetamine. Well, I'm just trying to be their friend. Well, undoubtedly, (laughs) I may succumb to those pressures of trying to do what they're doing to fit in. Powerful lesson to take away from that, for sure. So why football? I mean, you probably could have played any other sport. Why was football so attractive to you as an athlete? Oh, I love the attraction that it brings. It's a combination of speed, power, agility quickness, element of intelligence that has to play a role. Equipment where you feel protected, but, you know, we question that now because the very equipment can put you down. At least for me, when I first got started, I just loved the idea of being able to run on a, a field. And then there's also desire to work with other people on the field. It was something about that that I enjoyed because it really challenged me on so many levels to be physically fit in every aspect. Strong, so you got to lift weights. Speed, so you got to run. And your lifestyle has to be a resemblance of that. If you're eating bagels and chips and candy and junk food, it's going to play a role in how you move out there. So to me, the lifestyle that I wanted to live and the appearance that I wanted to create I couldn't I could play the game, but not at the peak of the success that I would want to be. It would sacrifice my ability to perform at a high level because my lifestyle and the things that I put in my mouth didn't allow me to. And I was just so dedicated to the process. I love the process, man. You know, sprint after practice or before. It was just something about being, you know, going out there and letting go. And being in the moment at all the sports that I was attracted to, because you know, I like basketball. Basketball is cool. There's something about football where almost like a gladiator fight, man. You put it on equipment and get it prepared to go to war. And the teammates that you train with all the time, they're, they're your soldiers. They've been with you. There's something about that. And I know basketball, you know, you're in shorts and there's, there's nothing about the armor that you put on there. It's like you can't, you're just, constantly playing on the court. But the football thing, man, helmet, there's something about getting dressed up and having all that equipment on where you feel official mentally. So that was the reason why I loved football out of all of it, and I gravitated to that. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself. What level did you achieve? College. Where did you play college ball at? UAlbany. Before that, it was Fresno. I was in Fresno, California. That was interesting. That was a lot of fun. Man, it was a different change for me playing on turf. Playing on grass versus playing on turf. You feel slower on grass. I don't know. That's just how I felt. <laughs> I went from being in New York to going out there in the heat. And let me tell you, that Fresno heat, when that air blew, it's not fresh, man. It's hot. When I got out there, it was, uh, it was a different experience that I didn't anticipate when I got out there. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, Fresno is very warm. I have been through there a time or two. Fresno is is hot. It is, yeah, it's hot. 
in a, and not in a, not in a Paris race. Hilton kind of way. Hot. It is. <laughs> it is very warm. You've studied philosophy. You're very well spoken. You got that college degree, which a lot of people would get excited about. But I imagine you've you've done your fair share of research. What leads you back to knowing that Jesus really is who he said he was? And to clarify who he said he was, he was the son of God, God in the flesh. I heard a speaker say once, God in a bod, which always is kind of tripping to me. But why Jesus? Why settle on Jesus? Why put your faith, your eternal salvation, all this stuff in him? After all the stuff you've read, all the research you've read, why him? Because, I mean, it could be anybody. Joseph Smith, it could be any of those guys. (laughs) What set my heart on Christ and no other belief system is because one of the things that I identified was that there is a condition, there's a sin issue that has to be addressed. And throughout all my studies, there's this desire to be a good person. In the biblical narrative or the astrological messianic point of view, Jesus is the only superhero (laughs) in the story. And we're all villains. And you know how it is. People have their perceptions and views depending on what side you're viewing it on. This understanding that I need help and assistance in my own personal life that I struggle with. From a biblical perspective, Jesus outright declares himself separate from everyone else. The Gospel of John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's a powerful declaration. In such a way, it's frowned upon that Jesus is declaring himself first. Now we know in Corinthians, Paul tells us that there are many gods in this world. There's many lords in this world. And I think if you've looked over life in general, yeah, there's different different spiritualities that people come in. But the Bible to me, there's something powerful about the Bible. God and his word is one and the same. He sounds exactly like what he wrote. And I believe all scriptures, Holy Spirit breathe. There's something about Jesus and what he represent and who he was. And I know a lot of people like to classify Jesus as a religious figure, but I see him as a king. And I don't know why people get so mixed up with the religious, the religiosity that stems from Jesus, but he's more of a king. That's what he declared himself as. And you learn a lot about this in the Gospel of John, if you're curious to want to know and learn more about. But there was something about Jesus to me that came to address a lot of things, and it was through a person. So this personal relationship separate from religion was something that I gravitated towards. And funny enough, as a philosopher, go to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we have to understand that the word fear there doesn't necessarily mean to be afraid. It's to have reverence towards someone or something. Going through this process made me realize that a lot of morality stems and comes from the biblical point of view. Now, the problem is, like Thomas Jefferson wrote a Bible, liked the philosophical elements and the morality out of it, but took the mysticism and the supernatural elements out of it to embrace what it is that he liked. But the one beautiful thing I love about God's word is that it's not a menu. You can't pick and choose what you want. It's either you embrace it all or you don't accept it. Going through all these different studies and looking at all these things and understanding who I am and the assistance and help that I need, I came to the conclusion that in life, I need help. I need assistance. And there's something wrong inherently within my heart when it comes to the way that I think about life and I think about situations. And having the Christ allows me that I don't have to strive for perfection. 
but that I'm I'm have the ability to be forgiven. And it requires submission and acceptance of the predicament that I that I'm actually in. And therefore it requires this humbleness that I have to embark upon. And when I think about that as a whole, and I think about what Christ and God is inviting me to, I find that to be the much more fulfilling belief system that exists at its core, because you can look at Christianity from 1817 perspective and the Catholic church and what was done. But there's a passage that I think about in Luke chapter nine, verse 51 to 56. What it tells us there is that Jesus is on his way to Samaria and two disciples, John and James speak to Jesus about why the people aren't being responsive to the gospel message. Automatically, what they do is they elect to do what Elijah does, call a fire from heaven onto the people because they're not responsive. And what Jesus says, they're so powerful. He said, the son of man did not come to destroy life, but to save it and to save it through him. So there's an understanding that our ability to elect to choose Christ is to choose that antidote for that problem that we have. And it's not to come at the cost where if you don't, X, Y is going to happen to you. Now, eventually there are things that are straight shooters. Like you have to accept the reality that that's a possibility. But at least in a sense, you have the chance to choose. And when sin increases, grace increases all the more. So I believe having that choice at liberty to decide on your own or go on that journey of discovery. And I could talk about Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking, keep on seeking. I love it in the NLT. But there's something about that option and that choice that desire to love me regardless of my wrongs and my rights and what I've done in my past, that I believe that relationship is much more welcoming, it's much more appreciated, and it's something that I can get with and understand and talk for hours about. Here's where I'm at, though. If I'm going to play the other side of the coin, being a Carolina fan, we can't like anything from the devil, so we... You know, we don't talk about the devil ever. Plus a Christ follower, you know, it's probably not good to talk about the devil either. But here's where I'm at is I I would imagine just statistically speaking, there's people that just heard that from you. They're like, yeah, Jonathan, that's cool. It's cool. You got your Jesus. Awesome. High five. He's kind of make believe like you're still delusional. You're still in make believe land. Maybe we should get you down to Disney because there's a lot of make believe and magic going on there happiest place on earth. What do you say to that? Well, for one, what changed my mind on what I read and why I believe it to be true is two things. One, the passage in Luke 24. This was all created of what I did on my podcast, and it's God revealed versus God proven. So in life, we live in this never-ending need or desire to prove things. And even then, that can be subjective to who you speak to. And it was something about embarking upon this discovery of Christ. Well, I would, he revealed himself to me. And a revealing is completely different than something that you're trying to prove. And the revealing element comes at such a way that it knocks your heart in such a fashion that it makes it different. Now, the deposit that I have of that is the Holy Spirit. And like you said, we can get into, oh, well different spirits and supernatural and all this other stuff. A conviction that I have, not a preference, that I deal with within my heart that lets me know that there's something that has changed completely. It's not just the change, the transformation that you're going to go through that you'll notice, but it'll be others around you that will take note of the change that happens to you. This revealing element that I'm speaking about is that when you search God out, he's not someone that can't be found. And to me, it starts with the desire wholeheartedly. And I believe there's something that is written in the book of Samuel where you have Samuel who is 
given the position of a priest and he's looking for a king and he's looking at these outward appearances. But the one difference that God mentions that we don't take a lot in consideration is to look at the heart. That God doesn't look at the outward appearances, but he looks at the heart. And I can tell you Ezekiel 36, 26 or Hebrews 8, 10. And it's that responsive heart that you receive from God through the Holy Spirit in that second covenant makes you realize that when you come to approach God's throne for prayer or any that anything in that sort, it's through the conviction within your heart that you know that God is greater than your heart. And yet, you know there's something wrong internally within yourself that ails you to want to improve, to do better, to raise the expectation. And that's something that is secured within the Christian heart that allows them and ails them to make adjustments, to be much more responsive to people. And I can tell you, Matthew 25, about caring for others, to the least of these, you've done it for me. Through this revealing of Christ in the scriptures, through the revealing on how I live my life, and I can tell you, Gospel of John chapter 15, where it talks about that they will know you are my disciples based upon how you love one another. So that love in which we try to provide other people is the love of Christ that's within that person that lets you see God's love. So it's the it's the perception in the way that you see God and you see the way he moves and he operates and how he has changed over time and where he has shifted his focus. But to me, when God reveals himself to you and you've taken that time out to search him, it becomes a feeling and a, a commitment and a changing within your heart. And that transformation only happens individually. And no one else is going to be able to tell you that. You yourself will know the difference between the two. And I think that is what I speak to and mention. And I'm not talking about the mysticism, something that happens supernaturally in a way, but you'll know the change internally and you'll be able to identify it. So that's what I would tell somebody that if you take the time out to search Christ, not only when you draw near, he'll draw near to you, but he definitely reveal himself to those who have had that willingness to want to search him. And I don't think he's hard to be found when you do that, when you do it that way. Yeah, I think so many times we look at God, we look at Jesus as almost like a Where's Waldo book. We're scouring and scouring and scouring and we can never find him. But I also feel like people like you come along and was like, what? You can't find him? He's right there. Like, there's Waldo. There's Jesus right there. There he is. Right next to the panda bear. He's right there. Well, awesome, man. Tell me, how can people go listen to you? Where where can they connect with you? Where are all those fun things that we love to talk about as podcasters to get connected with folks? Because that, at the end of the day, that's what we love to do. We love to connect with people. At least I do. I'm sure you're likewise in that. So where where can we do that? My Instagram, and I'm learning to be more active on there. You got to learn how to do that. Be sociable. And it's the truth of T-M-I-S, the truth of of T-M-I-S. You know, you gotta, that's where you can reach me. I'm pretty sure I can respond as quickly as possible. And the podcast can be located on, on all major platforms for podcasting, whether that's Amazon, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple Podcasting, Audible, all those, you know, well-known locations, you'll find me there. And then there's two other locations as well. My There's a group that I have on Facebook called I'm a Believer. It's called I'm a Believer. And normally there we post up scriptures and we try to encourage and motivate and chat with one another. And as I mentioned earlier, we don't grow in isolation. We grow in community. I really think the quality of our thinking can determine the quality of our life. So we want to 
be around people as to what Romans says, let us be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. So that's one way. And then finally is my email. And I usually respond there fast too. That's for questions and desires to want to talk to me personally, maybe questions, want to talk on the phone about something. And I think that's important to have access to someone that you might like this show, you might enjoy it, but you want to talk to the person personally. You don't just want to listen to what they're producing out there. And I'm not a person that's so well-versed that if I potentially or possibly make a mistake, I'm not willing to have that conversation. I don't think that I'm beyond reproach. I think I want to be accessible. And if you got to call me in the park about something, I'm willing to take that. Yeah, my email is S as in Sam, P as in play, E as in elevator, E as in elephant, D as in David, E as in elephant, D as in David, 83 at gmail.com. So speed it, speed, Edie. Don't judge me. I created this when I was in high school. It's speeded83 at gmail.com. Yeah, you can reach me there. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate you being here today. Let's do some silliness. You up? You open to that? Yeah, sure. All right, let's do it. So we do this silly thing at the end of our show. It's called Senseless. Just these five random questions. Six is the wild card. Now, listen, I'm going to try to convert you today, you know, just so you know, there is room <laughs> in the wagon. So you can okay. be a North Carolina fan today if you want. Not All only right. today, but for the rest okay. of your life. You could cheer wholeheartedly for the University of North Carolina. You could. Okay. I'm just saying you could. Do you want to do that? Is that something you would be open to, interested in? Sure. I mean, I don't got a problem with that. <laughs> I can consider it. <laughs> Good team, success. You always be. You always win those arguments, yeah. conversations. Yeah. yeah. Play hard, play smart, play together. I mean, that's a great philosophy to have, right? I mean, how could yeah, you dismiss yeah. that philosophy? <laughs> We're a family. We're not a brotherhood. That seems yeah. very sexist to just be a brotherhood. We're family. Yeah. Family involves everyone. Kids eight miles down the road, they talk about a brotherhood. Who cares about a brotherhood? We don't care about that. Any of it. All right. So I'm gonna roll for you. You okay with that? Because I'm I'm guessing you yes. don't just have a die hanging around your your place there. Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you're into like Dungeons and Dragons. Who knows? I don't know. All right. It's number six. There it is. Okay. Even the six is blue. <laughs> Look at that. How fun is that? Yeah, yeah. Good times. It's a lot of light blue around here. All right, so Mm -hmm. you get to spend the weekend. So weekend is Friday at 6 p.m., we're saying, till Sunday at 11.59. So you get that smack dab, that whole smashing everything into one weekend. One person, Mm -hmm. don't try to invite two, just one. One person that you would love to spend the weekend with, and what would you do? Dead or alive? Yeah, we'll make it dead or alive. Make it fun. Well, continue on this biblical thing. I would like to talk to Paul for a weekend. You know, kind of discuss how's it feel to want to murder people and then you want to be their friends now. From what I've gathered, he was somewhat boring to some people. Pick his brain a little bit, talk to him a little bit. That'll be someone that I'd be interested to spend the weekend and have a meal. What the heck would you do with the Apostle Paul? I mean, go through some of the stuff he wrote and just just talk to him about it and probably tell him how, you know, I know you made some suggestions in Corinthians 7 about marriage and stuff. And when I look over the trajectory of life now, you know, things haven't come quite gotten there, the judgments that happen. You know, I, I kind of catch him up to speed on some things he's written and how sensitive some churches have had been about it. And his whole thing on gifts on tongues and stuff. And I, you know, I have a blast with him. Like, listen, man, it's gotten out of control. <laughs> I told him about that. I feel like you got to take him to two places. Like you got to somehow get him to Houston to see, you know, that guy, Joel Osteen down there. <laughs> and then maybe jump on YouTube and get him some Joyce Myers, maybe. <laughs> A babble church or something. Uh, yeah, 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 something. Yeah, you know, yeah, I feel yeah. like we got to take yeah. him, maybe even take him to Waco. Yeah, let him see what's Let going him know on. what happened at Waco. Don't forget about Waco. <laughs> 
Minus the yeah. FBI, David Koresh. Got to let him know about that too. Well, man, you're a gem. I just want to tell you that. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate what you brought. Just want to say thanks so much, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I think you're running a tight ship here. Great episodes. I enjoy it. And I mean, man, if you're looking for a balance between being educated and having fun, I think you've you've got the right show here. So, Oh, that's nice, man. I definitely will be telling other people about you for sure. I appreciate that, man. Well, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, you know what that sound means. It's time to go, but don't go too quick. Don't just stop right now. That would be dumb. You didn't even finish the episode. Give me, give me two extra moments here. Here's the one. First off, now let me tell you, coming up shortly, we're going to be having an episode called Footprints. Huh. Ironically enough, that's the theme of our season right now. I don't want to tease too much of that. Let me just tell you, you don't want to miss it. But I think today we got another example of the impact that can be made if we just stop long enough to have a conversation. I know I say it quite often, maybe it's that spelling word list, right? That repetitiveness, that three times each kind of thing. Hated that, by the way. Maybe others did as well. But maybe we need that repetitiveness to remind us to listen, to hear, to feel, to touch, to experience. Now, I know for some of you, you might have just maybe checked out a couple times when you used the Bible. Okay, we'll check back in. That book is not overdue just yet. I want to just give you an opportunity right now to think about where you are. If I were to ask you this question at a coffee shop, what would your answer be? Who do you say that Jesus is? Was he just a good teacher? Was he a philosopher? Was he a philanthropist? Was he crazy? Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? Was he sexist? Was he judgmental? What was he to you? Let me know. I'd be curious. I really am. I'm serious. Curious as a cat. Let me know. OPSpodcast.com is a great place to let me know. There's a connection page there. Let us know there. Also, let us know on the social medias. OPS Podcast Show under Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, don't ever forget, remember when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. I'm Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.